Welcome to the Axis Effect Podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller and Marjorie Dehe with Alejandra Santos, the founder and CEO of Tandib Startup. Hi, Alejandra. How are you? Hi, thank you, Sarah Miller. It's Startup Tandem, not Tandem Startup. Oh my God, we need to start doing coffee, happy hour podcast. Oh my God, I'm so glad to have you on our podcast today because Marjorie and I have been on startup mode with podcasts. So it's always good to talk to people, not just in the startup world, but more leadership entrepreneurs and people who are actually helping them become better leaders and entrepreneurs. So it's super good to have you on the show today. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me, Marjorie. Nice meeting you, Sarah. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very excited to be here today. And I will join you for some wine in the next oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we have a podcast with the awesome girl who has her own startup. And I'm thinking that podcast is definitely going to need us some wine to get through at 4 p.m. But you know what? I love the invitation. We're going to take you up on it. But I, I love, love what you're doing here. Tell us a little bit about what Startup Tandem does. Because like we were chatting earlier about just leadership. And like we had this amazing podcast earlier. And we literally had a bad day. The guy had a bad day. So we actually talked about what were the problems? How are you leading? What are the solutions? And I love when it's all about startups. Because so many people overlook startups. They go to the big brands or they sit there and they kind of make these assumptions. Well, if you're a startup, you need to do this or that. And I feel like people, at least my agency startups, our CEOs always need, unless they're experienced startup guys or third or fourth round, it's always an educational process of how to build and launch a company. I'm hugely start out every time. Do not lead with your ego. Like leave it at the door. Team effort. Be authentic, be real, but it's just constant. You're constantly, constantly going. And then when they have a bad day or bad situation, there's such a right and wrong way to lead. And I feel like it's not just about, you know, 97% of all startups without good strategic public relation firms fail. They die in the vine. They don't make it. They can't get up life support. Then we have the whole, how do you go after funding, messaging? How do you present yourself? The whole legal, we have a lot of clients that I know Marjorie's aware of that they don't understand the basic legals of NDAs, contracts, employment, and so many things going into not just making your company successful, but ensuring a sustainable trajectory. And sometimes it's really hard to find people to come in to actually educate people on the right way versus the wrong way. So this is why I think we're both super excited to have you on the show. But let's talk a little bit about Startup Tandem, what are you doing? And like, how did you get into the culture of startup world? Yeah, so that's interesting that you said, Sarah, leave that ego at the door, be authentic, be genuine. Those are actually in my employee handbook as part of my, our value set that we have. We lead with, you know, the heart in our hands, basically. And I've been doing what I've been doing for 15 years, which is the finance and the accounting field. But I've been doing it all over across many various industries with many different sizes of companies. But it was when I moved to California about eight years ago that I really fell in love with the startup world. That's when I started doing the work that I've been doing, but just for them, working for competitors of mine. Like you said, startups are very underlooked because they say, you know, they're very small. They cannot pay the bills. Why are we going to help them? Because they're not going to be here for the next year. You know, and to me, yeah. it's, it's very heartbreaking because there's a lot of potential really good companies that get built every year. And because they don't have the right support or the right partnerships or the right resources, the right education, like you said, they're not successful. So a big thing of what Startup Tendon is, besides everything that we do, which is a lot of services, it's also educating business owners, entrepreneurs, and what it means to have a business, like what it means to to launch a successful business. It's not just creating an idea and market it and make revenue. You know, I get a lot of people that come to me because they have never filed taxes or they don't even have a QuickBooks file. I know, Marjorie. Yes. <laughs> or <laughs> the look of horror on 
my face. It doesn't translate on yeah, podcast. It's really bad. It's really bad. And, or they don't even know. They don't even have financials. They don't have access to their files. They, and it's this thing that it's like, wow, but you have such a great, like outside, you're selling such a great product. You're doing such an impact in the community. You're creating jobs. and But in the inside, you have like no insights to what's going on with your business health or are you getting harassed by the IRS? You're not even harassed because at this point you you, you need to respond no, to taxes. But I think it's also I think it's also like we start back in the go go days of startup. Anybody who had an idea on a napkin got 20, 30 million in funding. They became Meta, they became IG, Twitter, all these huge fucking companies. It's insane. And it was just a napkin. It was back when anybody 22, 23 had a good idea, went to the VCs and they got money. Then the industry kind of shifted and crashed. And I guess this is what I love about Mark Cuban because I'm friends with Mark and we've had this stupid conversation so many times with people. And this is how VCs are, and how we look when we pay on startups. I don't care how good your product is. It, that's R&D. You have a really good product, a better mousetrap, you could go to market with the right PR team, the right execution, the right everything. But the big thing is that that's great. But when we invest in individuals, which is what the market has notoriously done, and they can't lead worse shit, or they don't know how to lead, or they don't file their taxes, or they don't have a legal document mm-hmm. protection or whatnot, they're done. We've had a few clients, actually, unfortunately, but one particular that always cracks us up, our like kind of model of what not to do as a startup, got on a phone call at 8, 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, sat there for 30 minutes. Nobody came on. VCs fired the whole company Friday night. Forgot to tell us. We just sat there spinning wheels, what to do, who to call. But it's it's not about, you can't, like, being a CEO is an earned title. It's not granted. It's not given. It's not an easy title. Anybody can say, oh, I'm the CEO of this. I'm the CEO of that company. But they're not because it's not the product. It's the individual. I can't replace you as a phenomenal leader, a born bred leader, CEO, person who knows how to roll up their sleeves, be a team player, knows how to lead and do all the things right as a CEO. That can't be bought. You could be better at it, but your company product, I can improve on with tons of funding. I can't improve you if you're a bad CEO executive team. My money is just going to burn through within five years, you're done. And I think because we all saw that 22, 23, 30s, great idea on a napkin, we could be a CEO. But I think that has shifted so drastically over the past, I don't know, say what, 10 years, five, six, seven years. It's not easy being in a startup. So people don't understand. They don't have, they don't understand it is more than just having a good idea on the outside, a good product, because good products are a dime a dozen. They're here today, end in a month, two months, a year, because there's no leadership behind it. So, so Benjamore, I saw you worked with Benjamore. I love that product. I saw that you did a minority acquisition for them. Tell us a little bit about how you pick your startups to be part of your world. Oh, so that's a good question. I love skincare, beauty, woman-led companies. I think that's a big part of my portfolio. And it's because I love supporting women in leadership roles. I feel like, you know, women placed in this kind of role have the opportunity to be great leaders just because we can be empathetic and we can also be strong and determined and assertive at the same time. And that we are overlooked a lot. So yes, a lot of my portfolio is some skincare beauty, beauty startups and small business owners as well. Yeah, Vayomer was great. I was actually, it was, it's a great product. They're still doing really well. But a lot of what we do as well, like what you were saying, Sarah, you know, it's help business owners be successful at their craft, right? While they can do their great things and we can take care of everything that they cannot take care of it. Because let's face it, when you own a company, you have so many hats to wear. It's really hard. Things just get out of the cracks. The sleep of the cracks is just natural. So what we do is basically, like you said, we either help them become great leaders. We have leadership programs in place as well for small business owners. We help them with recruiting, terminating employees. That way they can avoid lawsuits because if you're in California, well, if you're a business owner, you're in for a treat. You have Sumi in the forehead tattooed. You're walking around with that all over the place because it's really easy to get sued here as an employer. We also comply with the taxes side, the fractional CFO side. Like you say, you talk about VC a lot. I work with a lot of VCs. I work with VCs, companies with their portfolio, making sure that their due diligence are done correctly. There's a lot of companies that do what we do, but they're not ethical at what we, they do. 
And I come from that world. I can attest to that. I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but I can really attest to the fact that there's a lot of unethical behaviors and practices that come in the industry. So, you know, I created this company to match my value set. Like you said, do not lead with the ego, you know, be ethical, be genuine, be real. And I'm such a direct person. I'm more East Coaster than West Coaster. I would, you know what I'm saying? Like the communication you two. Yeah. (laughs) I am an East Coaster. What are some of the services you guys do when you handle the finances? I mean, do you come in and consult and find out what areas do they need? Then you find the right either third-party vendors, you guys come in and match them up and put them with the right people. Because I feel like people need to understand you need to pay your taxes. You need to understand accounting. You need to understand legal, banking. There's so many things, HR. There's so many of these areas, the basic backbone of any company. And I feel like some is either going to, yes, I know I need all that, or they're just going to kind of avoid it and just wing it. Do you find like more of these startups you guys come in contact with understand and embrace, yes, I need all these areas? Or do you think a lot of them just say, yeah, yeah, we just don't want to pay the money. We could do it. We're a startup. And they just kind of trickle off on their own. It goes both ways. So a lot of people that come to me definitely come because, hey, uh, Uncle Sam is coming. The IRS is knocking and we need to do this. But as soon as I come in with my eyes, you know, I basically zoom in and see, okay, this is not only what you need. This is also what you need, right? And it's kind of educating business owners because they think, oh, well, you know, this is more expensive. I'm like, no, it's an investment. Like I really, I need to teach and educate why it's so important to get your docs in a row. But going back to your other question, we do everything in-house. We have in-house HR, HR, tax, accounting, but everything is in-house. What we do partner up with is people in the industry that have like-minded business models. And what that means is like, for example, you, Sarah, I said, hey, Sarah, I have a client, you know, that could benefit from your services because we think alike and we provide the same kind of, you know, then I would refer you to that. And I want to keep you in my network because I know you work really well. Or Marjorie, you know, the client needs some. And then we do those kind of network relationships I have with like different banks, financial institutions, lawyers, marketing. And my whole goal is basically, you know, to be able to present to my client with solutions in not only the areas that we target and we serve, but also in other areas that I cannot serve my company itself. So you guys have in-house tax guys, CPAs, attorneys, everything. So you kind of are a one-stop shop, like you said, unless you have to outsource other people. Are your, your clients are startups. Are they all based in California or do you guys have startups all over the U.S.? So we're all over the U.S. and a few from out of the country as well. People that come to America saying, you know, hey, I want to make a company here. I've come from Mexico and I just want to create a co- Okay. Uh, just to be clear that we do not have lawyers in, in house. Lawyers is, some, I mean, somebody wants to come in, be part of the company, please, by all means, we're open doors. But uh, we do partner up with the other lawyers that do have like-minded businesses. Yeah, because I feel like every startup has a whole different need. What works for one doesn't work for other. But then there's a few things, you know, at least from a legal standpoint, NDAs are NDAs. And no matter how you look at it, they're enforced, they're not enforced. But very specific things on mergers, acquisitions, partnerships. Yeah, you do need to have specialized people. But how do you handle it? Because like we've done, I've done a lot. We do a lot of executive training. We do media training. We do executive training with almost every client. Well, at least as much as we can until they just decide they don't want training or need training. But we try to do that a lot. And we used to run a lot of um, VC lunches with VCs where we bring in five or six startups we bring in one people to talk to them about basic things and what they need. We did a lot of that pre-COVID. Through COVID, obviously, nobody wanted to get together. We're all zoomed out. But I'm starting to do that again in Scottsdale and in LA. And so it is sometimes for me, it's hard to get somebody to actually listen with the intent to understand, not to respond. And it's it's this education process. It's, it's huge to say you... I don't know, hired somebody without a legal agreement or, you know, you are you did this media interview or you're doing this or you're putting this deal together or, you know, you're you want to do something. But there is no I mean, there's just it's you got to train their brains to understand. It's not that you don't know what you're doing. It's not an ego thing. It's not. And I will so hate talking about this whole gender equality, men, women. You're a person, a good leader no matter what sex you are. And I just don't jump on the bandwagon because you're a female or a male, you're this or you're that. But I feel like all equal, 
we're not coming in to say you're not smart, you don't know what you're doing. We are here to help enhance and create a better sustainable future. And I know that is not across the board. A lot of people don't want to hear that. They hire you. They want you to go create the magic, which we do. We create magic all day long, we're known for. But sometimes it's really hard to get inside their head to understand we're not replacing you. We're here to make you better. And I, I don't think the legal and the accounting side falls into that category because people need legal. They need accounting. But I think to be a better leader, to understand what that means is a big hurdle, no matter how you slice and dice it. Yeah. So how do you pick those companies? Because as Sarah says, there's you got to find that magic. You got to find the right CEO. So what's your methodology for saying, I want to work with this startup? I like entrepreneurs that are go-getters, that are, you know, that they have a good track record. I wouldn't even say good track record, but it doesn't have to be somebody that's, for example, well-educated, right? That has like all these degrees. It has to be somebody that is out there um, making money, you know, kind of like hustling, showing up for himself, showing up for his employees, you know, has like a good sense of like, I want to take care of my people kind of it. That's that's what I, the leaders that I like, that I like to serve are those kind of people because then I know that I'm doing something really good. And what it comes back to, like you said, education, a lot of what we do, we do a lot of campaigns. I have campaigns going rolling from like last year. We do public speaking events. We do campaigns on like, why is it important to do certain kind of things? Why is it important to do this kind of leadership development programs? Why do we have to train people? Why do we have to put a personality test in place when you're hiring somebody into your company? What does it mean to have a good culture? What are the pillars for a good culture? On top of like everything else, right? On top of like the boring stuff, which it, for me is the boring stuff. Because, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, I deal a lot with boring stuff, but you know, <laughs> contracts and that. But I want to get back to what you said before, how hard it is to run business in California. Because in California, they have started to make like the CEO personally liable for many things under the startup. And we know that startups you know, you have money today, you don't have money. So it's gotten very hard to do business in California. Are Where are you encouraging your companies if they're coming from Mexico, if they're coming from Europe, et cetera, where are you encouraging them to set up and why? Well, but New yeah. York is the same though, because New York has almost yeah. the same laws Reciprocate. Yeah, California. Yeah. They're both getting really difficult. Yeah. Like it's like it's getting difficult to set up in New York and California of yes. all places. Yeah. Right. I usually say Delaware, you know, is the best. And I always tell them, you know, if you're going to find that, even if you're in Delaware, you're going to still be under jurisdiction or wherever your headquarters or wherever you're operating at. So I always say, you know, if you want to come to California, prepare for a good one because it's going to be a very interesting ride. And I mean, this, I mean, California doesn't even enforce NDAs or I mean, non-competes or non-solicitation classes or I mean, there's so much that California... We just got an email today saying that non-competes are almost removed. They're not going to be even enforced anymore. So how do you perform as an employer when you have so much intangible, like to assets, you know, intangible assets that you don't want, you know, somebody to steal from you or, you know, compete with somebody, your competitor that can be shared information that is delicate to you and your clients. That is very hard. That is a very hard thing to do. I never understood that, why California has that. I mean, I know New York is close on the heels of following their protocol, but like, because I know, you know, Vegas was a big place to register in and then they started changing or charging California state franchise because I had to pay all of that. And then Wyoming is now, and there's like Wyoming, Delaware, there's Wyoming, there's another place I forgot that are the, the upcoming ones to start registering your companies, but it still goes back to where you're physically doing business. And I never, and maybe Margie, you could answer this, like, like you anywhere in the world, what is it? I don't know if it's a political thing. Who knows what the answer is, but I feel like California is, let's make it so impossible. Like studios, people are moving out of California. Unfortunately, the market's just bad because nobody wants to be there because they're almost prohibiting the cost of doing business. And is that like, is there something like legal, Marjorie, you could like update us on why California is making it so difficult and almost inhibiting people to not be in business there? Well, I think it goes back like 40 plus years, probably even 20 years of startups. And what startups would do is they would create a company, hire a bunch of people, not pay anybody, not pay taxes, close up shop, 
and then move across the street, open up a new shop, open. And that's what they're trying to prevent is basically, you know, companies from kind of just restarting across the street. So that's why the laws. But I think what's challenged is they've created so much personal liability, which a lot of startup owners don't even know this law exists, don't even know about it. And it's a big step to say, hey, I'm running a company. It's a bigger step to say, hey, I'm, as you said, Alejandra, I'm going to get sued for running a company. So maybe you could tell us beyond taxes and this crazy law, some of the pitfalls that you have seen in startups and how you have helped them overcome those pitfalls. Yeah. So going back to the, to the California laws, though, the AB5 test is huge. You know how many mm-hmm. clients I get that say I want to hire to do this and I have to tell them, oh, but let's look at the AB5 test. Is this applicable yeah. to you? Because <laughs> this is going to be a big no-no when you start filing those 1099s, you know, if mm-hmm. you ever file 1099s, you know, and then you know, the government's going to find out that these people that actually should be under your employment rather than your contractor, right? So those are a little bit of the things that I prevent, you know, for business owners. I basically tell them, okay, well, this is the law. How can we comply with the law and still make it a successful business? Because seriously, in California, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. I mean, we required so much taxes and so much insurance. And sometimes what I do, and I tell people that if you hire employees from other states, perhaps it's best to do that jurisdiction of the contract according to that state. That's another Mm -hmm. thing. Because, for example, I have employees all over the United States, but if New York is awful. It's not, I'm not even going to go there. But if I hire somebody from Idaho or from Florida, I'm going to say which one is the law that applies more lenient, unfortunately, to say that to us, because California is too strict, right? So maybe the jurisdiction of the contract will be Florida law or Idaho law. So that those are com- some of the scenarios that we go around. And I am not a, a legal practitioner at all. <laughs> I have like lawyers. I, I mean, I have lawyers. I talk to lawyers all the time. So I'm like, okay, what is the best way to do this? I have this problem. That's how I know how to like navigate the law, but I, I'm not a, a professional lawyer. I think what also is, is also is interesting, which is more and more. And I have some friends who are stuck in this predicament more and more every week. I find somebody calling me with some issues or complaining. When you work, and a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to be a consultant, right? COVID hit, I'm not going to work. I'm going to be consulted, have my freedom. But when clients say, hey, this is so-and-so, they're a chief marketing officer, digital officer, or they're a consultant, but they're acting as a COO, whatever, in the company, and the company gets sued, they can mention you. You don't own the company. You have nothing to do with the company or anything. But because they said you were in charge or polluted that you may be in charge, you can now get Sued. I have now, um, I had a few friends. I have one of my good friends three days ago called me and she's now battling a situation that just came up because she was like, well, she's handling all of my finances and operations. She doesn't own the company. She has nothing to do with any of it. She's just on a consulting gig temporarily in between for her next job starts. And she's already been listed. And I feel like, I know this is a new law. I mean, I don't know if it's a new law. I know it's it's a stronger law. California is really backing this. I think, I don't know if New York's backing this, but I'm finding out more and more of my friends in the state of California. And I don't want to pick on California because I, I literally grew up there. I lived there. I love California. But I just, it's the one maddening thing that, well, now you can't work for a company and even assume a higher C-level role. Otherwise, employees... People could come after you and it's not even your company. That's the one thing that most startups don't understand. And I've got three friends now who are in that situation. And the CEOs of those startups, just they don't understand. They don't have any financial legal liability. So you cannot act like they're big to make you look big to help you close deals and grow because then they're taking the liability. So I have a a girlfriend who's putting in her agreement with them, retainer agreement, that she cannot be seen, viewed, da, da, da. She has a legal clause. I forgot what it was. Mm-hmm. One of her attorneys gave her a, a really, really good legal clause that they're now giving to all of their clients to put into all of their agreements to protect that person. And I forgot, I forgot the name of it, What I forgot. And I know Marjorie, I'll have to give it to you, but it's a special clause that her yeah. attorney did that is a boilerplate for all of their law firms, clients from now on, yeah. protect them for that reason. It's such a tight clause that they wrote 
because I um she asked me to read it for her and I was like damn like that, that like I'm impressed with the well, you have to now a lot don't have insurance because you want like errors and missions or director yeah. insurance or you know even being an advisor or a board member now uh subjects you to a lot of liability Alejandra maybe you can tell a little bit about like three things that you think startups should know that maybe they don't know so that's a really good question. Definitely know that as soon as you start a business, you are liable for a lot of things. And that's just how it goes. You know, that's the beauty of having being your own boss and doing your own service and product and offering to the world. Even though you can get sued, uh, make sure that you structure your company in a way that protects you, meaning at the parent and the subsidiary. I always say that, you know, the, the more complicated the business structure, the better you are. That's what I would say. And then the other one is, like you said, just be very protective. I have insurance policies for everything. I think for every kind of breathing, non-breathing day. I mean, <laughs> you name it. But I mean, you just, you, you're never too safe. You're never too prepared for whatever that something can happen. And the biggest liability is, I think, is with people. You know, when you bring somebody to your company and unfortunately, you don't get to see everybody how they are until they're in your company. And exactly what their character is, their personality, does it fits really who you are. So the biggest thing here is like to really, if you are going to hire somebody, have a, a probational period, let them know. And then if you're going to terminate someone, do it with someone next to you, because that is one of the biggest areas for somebody to get sued, especially in California. Mm-hmm. So those are a few of the things uh, that I've learned through myself, you know, and lawyers that I have spoke to, you know, and that what if they advised me, what if we have advice done together? It's uh, create a business structure that it's complicated and be protective. Yeah, because I mean, the conversations and this is what I tell CEOs all the time. You know, if you're talking about an HR issue with an employee, <laughs> always make sure someone else is in the room because <laughs> you can't really tape them in California unless you say, hey, we're going to both agree to tape this, which I know people do like people tape things and then they're like oh well I have evidence and I'm like but you can't use that because it's a dual consent in California and people think they can get around that or not but yeah it's a tough one it's also a lot of money to sue somebody I mean I think people spend so much money with legal just to get the letters to try to quell the situation knowing that going to court's a whole different ball game and I just think people need to really be educated and it's just, it's mainly it's operation. What we're talking about is all operations and legal. I want to kind of pivot a little bit to leadership because the legal and the operations and all the stuff you guys are talking about is critical. To me, that's just like, who would not know all of this? But it's amazing how people don't understand all the fine details, labor laws and everything. And I do think it's such a critical part, but like, I want to flip over to the whole leadership side of this as well, because you could, you guys can give, it's very factual. You pay taxes. Here's the law. There's, there's no way around. You cannot manipulate the law. If you're either going to have like an issue that you marge, you're talking about, Alejandra, you got accounting, it, it's, it's black and white. If, if you need your handheld, great, but there's so much there. But that doesn't mean you're a good leader. You're a good CEO. It means you're diligent. You don't want to be sued. That doesn't mean you know how to run your company. And like, I always tell our CEO, like all of our, and anytime we have a new client come in, I ask them, what is your exit plan? The first day you decide to be a CEO, to start your company, the first day you need to understand where your exit is and how to get to that exit. Without that exit and that, that, that trajectory, you're just going to be spitting all over the place and then you drop the ball. And like, I feel like people think it's so easy to be a CEO. They feel like, oh, it's super easy. Look at your lifestyle. Look at you. You have your own independence, everything, you know. But I always say the grass isn't greener. It's a different shade of green. You got to feel where you're better at. And to me, we all make good decisions. It's the bad decisions. We have to own our leadership, good, better, and different, how we handle it, how we handle a bad situation. That may be, if I'm in a big conglomerate global company, I have to make a decision and maybe an asshole, but I need to do what's best for me. But it may actually make you like Marjorie or you, you know, feel like you're just casualties of war. You're just, you know, I just, you guys got in the way. I can't help. They got fired. I can't help. They got screwed on a deal. You were just there. And I feel like a really good CEO is not going to let somebody walk away ever feeling like they were just indispensable or not appreciated. It's just a casualty of war. because That was my decision. 
not yours. You may have walked away in a bad place, but I have to own that leadership and make sure you understand you walking away doesn't diminish your talent, your expertise and what you do. And I think there's like, like all of this stuff I have to deal with. And I talk to you and my clients every day about this. The VP is about the CEOs, the CEOs about the VPs. This is such a big area and the operations illegal, super critical. I, I, I get it. It's so overwhelming, but I feel like the leadership of everything else is just as is more critical. Cause if you don't have that, I don't need an attorney. I don't need accounting. I don't need any of this because I'm not going to be around long enough. I'm going to be in the employment line finding a job where I don't have a responsibility. And it's so important to support and see small businesses and all these startups and innovation and tech and entertainment. But there's that chunk of how to be a CEO of a startup outside of operations that most startups are missing. And is that an area that you're seeing more of, or you see more of the lack of legal and operations? And if not super long, super long question here, are you, how are you handling the other side of operations and legal? Most startups literally don't know how to lead. So it's, it's so interesting that you say that. So I can be an example of that, I think, because I have not been a CEO before I started my own company. And not managing, leading people is the hardest part of my job. I would say it's not even getting clients. It's not even, no, this is the hardest part of my job is kind of meeting everybody on their needs, you know, but also think about the company. It's kind of like you are turning to two ways because you want to make sure that everybody's happy. They feel appreciated and empowered. And, you know, they have the resources that they need to feel supported and do their job right. But when a situation happens, you know, what are you going to do? Where do you turn? Do you turn into the best of the company and say, okay, whatever? Or do you turn into how am I going to help you to continue being part of the company, right? So I feel like that is one of the biggest decisions and one of the biggest things that I face when it comes to managing people. I mean, my people have been with me for a while. However, I have been faced with those kind of situations where they're dealing with personal scenarios, you know, and you know, they have to cut time hours because they need to focus on their personal situations. And I, you know, it's as sadly as it is, I have to do, of course, what's always best for my employees and then always best for the company, right? So where do you find the happy medium? And that's why I go back to like women in leadership because you can be more empathetic as a woman, you know, and people call it emotional, whatever. I, I, I think it's, we're just more human. We we analyze everything with our heart and then we also come with our mind to make decisions. But, you know, at the end of the day, leading, like you said, is putting needs in front and then kind of like assessing the best situation on how to make it work both ways in order for you to have the same people for a longer time, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. So yes, to answer your question, I do see this problem a lot when it comes to business owners. And I see it a lot more in more mid-sized business owners that ones that have been, you know, they've been around for a little bit of longer time. I see that that's, they have a, a revolving door more often than the, the smallest companies are. And it's because, you know, probably they just didn't go through the whole pillar set. What exactly do you want in your culture and how do you want to implement that in your company, right? And what kind of person fits into that culture? Well, when you were very early, you start thinking about these things. And that's what I'm seeing nowadays. The smaller guys are starting to think, okay, what do I want in my culture? And if they don't, I always tell them that. Let's do like a value set, like what exactly what pillars do you want? Because it's going to really determine who is a good fit yeah. for you and your company. And it's going to stay with you for a long, long time. And we can reassess, I tell them, because what happens with internal and sort of tendings, we reassess people every two weeks. We have touchdowns and we just want to make sure, are we still aligned with you? You still like us, you know, has anything changed from two weeks from now? I know it becomes really redundant, but, you know, like very often, but to us, it's a very nice check to have that we're, because things change so fast when you're, in, when you're doing different things, right? So, yeah. So going back to that, this is another big problem of operations legal that comes with all of about owning a business. It's not, you know, just the accounting side, the legal stuff, the tax side. It's about also having the people that are with you for a long time in your company, because as you're revolving that door, then your company also, unfortunately, gets in trouble because you are having new people, you have to train them, it's more expensive, it's costly, they don't have the same skill set. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem across the board. What are the types of leadership that you do look for that you see? Because I feel like, you know, there's always different types of leaders, 
And like, I feel like I know a lot of people who feel like their leadership is to be part of the boys club, to be your best friend, to keep it personal. Then there's the ones that you could still be nice to somebody. You could still be nice and boy, it's just being professional. For me, I rather have, and I went through this when I started my agency like 15 years ago, then grew. It's like, I rather you respect because I'm good at really damn good at what I do and the best agencies out there. I don't care if you like me or not. You don't have to be my best friend. I don't need to know your personal life or mine, but you need to respect that I know what I'm doing. I have the best track record with startups and I know how to get you to that M&A stage faster. You don't have to like me. You have to trust I know what I'm doing. Where that's just my style. I mean, I do become some of my former clients are my closest friends, but I feel like there's people who are trying to be your best friend and be everybody's nice person. Then there's those who I don't really care about your personal life. Get the job done because I respect you're here for a reason. I'm on the ladder. Are you as a CEO, the former, the latter, or which, and where do you find your clients? Which side of that fence do most of your clients fall on? It's so interesting you say that. So I am the type of person that if you, I like accountability. To me, that's very, I value that so much. Like to me, to know that you, I give you a task and you get it done and you're reliable and you're there and you're, that to me is valued more than if you are the best person at doing one task, but you don't never give it to me. You know, that's the type of person that I am. I value accountability, reliability, because I'm always on the go and I can never be, you know, micromanaging. I am not a micromanager. The other thing is that if I, I, I don't like people kissing me, my ass so much, you know, like if people kiss my ass, I'll be like, okay, I'm turning off. What's going on? Like, this is not who I am. I don't, I thank you for the compliment, but that's just not who I am as a person in general. I feel like somebody has a double agenda and everybody that's around me know that I am very direct. Like I'm very vocal in who I am as a person and you know, like what, what is my love language, right? You would say everybody has their own love language, even at work. A lot of my employees like gifts, they like appreciation. You know, I just like accountability. Just please be there for me when I really need you. That's, that's all I want. But in my clients, you know, I deal with a lot of different client personalities. Oh my goodness. I mean, all the spectrum. We have like uh go-getter, we have like super mellow, you know, we have super sweet, friendly, I'm gonna be your best friend. There's so many different types of personalities, and that's how they and that's what they value. Like I have clients that are, you know, they're best friends with with whoever their, you know, their team is. And that's great for them because that works for them. And then I have clients that are go-getters and they're always like, go, go, go. And, you know, they find those people that work well with that kind of personality. So everybody is so different and every, I feel like as long as you are only understanding of what the expectation is, I think that makes a good leader a leader, right? Like you tell everybody your expectation, they meet your expectation and they, you meet their expectation. It has to be clear communication on what the needs are and what that's feel like that's, that's the, a good leader right there. Yeah. Now, I got this great piece of advice from a former boss, like when everybody, we'd all go out to drinks and she would never come. And I was like, finally, I was like, well, why don't you come? And she's like, well, I'm the CEO. If I'm going out for drinks, I'm going out for drinks with other CEOs. Because she didn't want to cross the line of favoritism or like friendship or she was great. And it wasn't like she didn't like everybody she worked with. But I thought it was such an interesting point because she was saying like, hey, I have different issues and I don't want to get involved in your really deep personal life because then if something happens, that becomes an emotional tie. So I thought that was really interesting. I think that's like, I I, I love that she said that to you because that is probably one of the most insane things that I've always lived by. And I've never been friends with, I mean, I'm friendly with everybody, obviously, but I'm not friends with my employees. I never have been and it's not that I don't love them. I, I love that I've never had anybody say that to me, but I love that she said that to you, Margie, because like, I can't be friends with, and it's not like I've been accused, oh, you're a snob, you think you're better, you always want to be above somebody. No, I don't want to be friends with my employees or my vendors. I don't even want to be good friends with my clients. It is business, it is objective to do my job. I'm not your therapist. I don't want to get involved, I'll tune you out. But because- your job as a CEO, and I tell my clients, actually, I don't even really tell my clients as I tell actually my closest friends, like my group of people, my best friends, people that I know really well. You don't want to talk to anybody in your company. As a CEO, I have never, ever, I don't think, I mean, yeah, I can say that 100%. I've never talked about my personal issues, problems, guys, anything with any of my employees 
when I want to talk about it, I'll go to my advisors, my friends that are not in my agencies who don't work for me, my peer of people, my advisors close to me that are my closest advisors, best friends, objectively will not tell me what I want to hear and piss me off at times, but they tell me the truth because it's what I need to hear. I am a big believer that you surround yourself with anybody who does not work for you or a family member when it comes to what you're talking about. And like, I think that is such a smart thing to say to somebody. My other, like one of my mentors always told me, which she should have told me that like 15, 16 years ago, Margie, but it was when I first, when I left this big global agency to start my own, I took a big FinTech client going from seven to 36 million in three years. I did $198 million M&A with them and then seven. She's like, I was terrified to leave this big firm in my twenties to go be on my own. She's like, keep that fear. The more scared you are, the better it's going to be because you'll never fail. If you're not scared, you're not nervous. It's not big enough for you. And like that, I always live with that saying, but now that I have Marjorie's, which I already do, but I got two things, but I just think there's such value in staying out of your company. And I think I've only once had to tell one of my closest employees, which was a medical situation because she had to take over and run my agency two or three times when I was in a hospital, I was out. Otherwise, I, I totally love that. But I mean, and we're running out of time. Let me ask you guys this. Have you guys heard of the Riso Hudson and a jam test? Alejandro, Marjorie, have you guys heard of that? It is the most insane test. I'm going to send you, I took it a while ago. It is one of the top, leadership test of personalities of and it's like so and it's just it's like 20 pages long it's like 20 pages long and you take this test and it gives you a result the enneagram test and it really breaks down by how you answer talk about personality tests but not just hey i love walks of the beach i like outgoing people i'm super friendly and loyal to a deep blah blah blah, blah. it's giving you the good the bad and the ugly your leadership skills, your strategy skills, challenging, empathy. It is one of the most insane tests. And I actually, I took it last February or March. I took it this uh, this past year and I got my results back. What is it called? It's, it's the Riso Hudson Enneagram. I'll, I'll, I'll email it to you guys. It's super hard to find, but I'll email it to you. It's like, you have to pay. I forgot what the fee was, but I took this test for one of my business coaches. I'm in the MBA that I actually work with closely on and off for a long time as well. And you turned me on to it because all the sports people, like CEOs take it. I want to say, I'm going to email it to you we guys. Do, yeah, we do the Meyer Briggs a lot. Obviously, it's like the most common one. But then there's also a big one that is called Wonderlet. I don't know if you guys heard about that one. It's actually a, a platform that it also tests the NFL players. And it's actually, you put the position in there and it matches the personality and the value and all of the skill set to that position. But if you put the same person in another position, and probably the rating wouldn't be as great. Yeah, that's a that, that's for, because it's, it's for almost like yeah, NFL for sports driven people to know they're in the right position. I'm going to send you guys the Enneagram one. It's really, but if you want to be a leader, if you are a leader, you could need to understand. We talked about where your skills, where if I lack in certain areas, do I really want to go into lead unless I know I have these skills, or unless I could find the people to bring in to fill in what I don't have and vice versa, or that's going to be where the holes are going to be once I get, it is the most insane thing ever, but it is one of the most accurate. It's not like positions and physical. It's, it's, it's really like, it's like 99% spot on for every CEO I know from sports to entertainment who have taken this high powered people. And so then I took it for my business coach at one point. Now I was like, Oh my God. I mean, it was 17 pages long to read, but the best 17 pages <laughs> ever. I'm going to send it to you guys real quickly. Alejandro, that just, oh my God. Love that we pivoted from operations, legal accounting to leadership and everything in between. Where can startups find you when they need help? Oh, everywhere. We are on LinkedIn, IG, Twitter. I mean, <laughs> website, Alejandra, sort of tandem.com. Very easy. What is the URL for the company? www.startuptandem.com. IG, startuptandem.com. Lincoln, the same. Twitter is very... TikTok, we're on TikTok as well. <laughs> nice. Why, can I just ask you a quick question? Why the, the name, Startup Tandem, where did that... Was that a person... I know it's your first CEO job. Is that... Was that personal? Was that... What were the word 
startup tandem come from? You know, it's interesting. I don't know. I used to do, I, I run a lot and I meditate and I just pictured this network of small companies coming together to help one another and be successful. And that's what startup tandem means. It's basically we, you know, the clients come together to help each other. We share each other's network. I building my own network. I share my network with everybody. That's what it is, you know, just building each other's out, each other's business. That's what they, so we had this podcast and that's going to come out right before after yours. And his business partner, Margie, if I'm wrong, did I hear that right? He met this guy on LinkedIn. You know, it's all about networking. And they became actual business partners. Didn't meet him for like six months. And I just like the power of networking is there. Long as you're smart about who you let in, who you're networking with, and like who you're utilizing and what platform you're utilizing. Because I've turned down probably 200 LinkedIn requests. And it's not that I'm not going to not want to be friends with you, work with you, but I'm getting an over since holidays, January 1st, you got all the sales, all the consultants to, you know, and everything. And so I'm trying to weed out a lot of people on my LinkedIn more than I ever have, because when I want to network, I want to know that you're somebody I would work with, want to help, want to connect with. And so I find out that the power of social is humongous. And I, my biggest downfall is that I think LinkedIn was my beyond all favorite. And I just feel like it's weakened its credibility because I'm seeing recipes and personal stuff and stuff that's just not really, you know, hey, I'm a consultant. I'm doing all this big tech entertainment stuff. Be your friend. I have a lot of people comment. And then within three seconds, I get a whole blanket sales pitch cold of let us help you. So I just feel like LinkedIn was my last hope for really hardcore networking. And I just feel like social kind of a little wonky these days. Oh wait, are you finding the same? Are you, I mean, I'm still a believer in LinkedIn, but like, what is your favorite social media site that you're you really using for networking? And Honestly, what? in person, I think that's the most... Uh... I, I love the old school. I still go door to door marketing, believe it or not. I still introduce myself to yeah. businesses and in one building I do like five and I just, hi, it's Alejandro. I just come to say hello and, you know, That's introduce awesome. myself. And I don't know, it's, it, there's so much power on like in making conversation one-on-one and eye contact and who you are and seeing your personality. So although everything else, social platforms are great. It takes away from the magic in person. So to me, it's still in person. I'm very old school like that. Wait, Margie, what is your favorite social platform? You know, I've always been a big believer of LinkedIn because when I meet people, I always like to know who we have in common because often, you know, you're like, oh my God, we know the same person. Or sometimes you get these requests and it's like, you have 535 people in (laughs) contact and you're like, how have we not met in person? But I do think at the end of the day, you know, you want to do business with people I meet in person because then you can really understand the values. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is since COVID, it ended it. And now when COVID's over post-pandemic, people are so comfortable just being in Zooms and they moved away where they don't have to physically be there. They don't want to go to shows. So I do think it does make it harder for in person. I, I do think people are not doing as much in person, but that's also why we have Zoom. Because if you're on video or if your video's off the whole time, I'm going to question, what are you doing? Where are you? What do you look like? I want to see your eyes. There's got to be some personal connection. And I'm not saying like in person is amazing. It's like I'm being in PR. I chat and talk to anybody, but I do feel like if somebody's going to stop and not, unless I know you're like, hey, I have my hair up in a ponytail and putting make, you know what I'm saying, with friends. I feel like if you're talking to somebody for the first time, you can't have your video off. You've got to have your video on. You've got to be able to personally see who that person is to connect and have a conversation because we've, like I have formed the most insane relationships with some of our guests. If I didn't have the video on this podcast, a one-on-one, we probably wouldn't have had ongoing relationships where we're networking and referring people. If they're on pure video, great podcast, but that probably been where it started and stopped. I know Marjorie and I have met some of the most insanely brilliant, smartest, most like the best people we've ever met because we're doing so <laughs> many podcasts. But I do feel like if you can't do the personal, Zooms are so important or any FaceTimes. 100%. So I sometimes, you know, for example, I just had a client because he came from my dry cleaner, the owner of the dry cleaner where I dropped my, you know, my clothes, you know, we made a relationship he was like, oh my God, put your business cards here. I'm like, okay, let's do it. 
And then suddenly I got a client from there, from that connection. Then we met immediately. We met in person, even though we only met in person once. We've never done it again. But I feel like that there's a lot of value there. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of value in meeting with one-on-one, even instead of a coffee shop, just to get some coffee and see who you are. It's just it's not the same as grabbing the phone. You know, I always tell people, you know, when they call me, hey, what are you offering? All these services. Yeah, but let's get into a Zoom meeting, please. Yeah. At least it's Zoom. Because that way you can see who I am. You can see that you can, you know, I'm genuine. You know, I have to hard. Yeah, exactly. Human, human connection for yeah. anything in life. And I think people kind of forget that through the pandemic, they don't need that human connection anymore. But I think we need it now more than ever, especially for startups, especially with clients. Oh, I go out a lot to events just because I do need some kind of social person interaction. In the screen, sometimes I feel I feel so sad and neglected, you know, like I want to talk to someone else. I want to say hi to people. <laughs> That's so funny. It was so good, Alejandra, having you. I'm so glad you came on the show. We had you on to talk about this. It was, it was awesome. I love having these conversations with other people all about leadership and startups. It's so important to have these conversations. And it, we, we talk about it so much. And one of the things that we haven't talked about that we are going to have to start talking about soon isn't just the leadership, isn't just the ops, but we've got to talk about leadership, CEOs, stress, pressure, and the mental and health of CEOs and leadership. So I think we need a part two with you on our next season. So I think this oh, is a bigger conversation. That's a big one. I have a checklist for that. <laughs> You're like, go in the corner to cry. <laughs> you get a long designated one. <laughs> that may be our cocktail podcast. But no, honestly, I would love to have you back on our next season to talk because I do think we don't talk about mental health and the pressures of being in leadership roles enough. And so I, I definitely want to have you back on and talk about that with me and Marjorie soon. But until then, like we wish you the best of luck. Super excited. You picked a good dry cleaner <laughs> and everything. <laughs> no, thank you both for having me here. I'm very excited to see exactly what you continue doing on the startup ecosystem space because we need a lot of you. We need a lot of us together, working together. So if there's an opportunity for all of us to work together, in the common great goodness of a client or please let's do it. I'm open. Perfect. It was so good having you on. So good. This is Sarah Miller and Marjorie DeHay with Alejandro Santos. It's been awesome having you on and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaccesseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.